now about me. Caitlin picked me up from the airport uh, three years ago now, and we get in the car, and I was spicy. It was a long trip, I was hungry, the plane was terrible, like all these different things, I'm exhausted. We get in the car, and she asks us like a pretty basic question of like, how was your trip? And I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's fine. She's like, ask me another question. And I said, oh, ask me like another basic question. And I, I'm just being a jerk. And we're about halfway home, and she pauses and stops and says, hey, if like, it was like one of your friends that picked you up, would you be talking to them like this? Or like, what if it was your dad? How would you be responding to his questions? And very quickly, I was like, yeah, I think I'd be like nice to them and like thankful <laughs> for like, like immediately just felt it, right? Um, someone who is smarter than me in this room and has practiced therapy for a long time and gotten education, so I'm putting this on them, once told me uh, when kid, young kids are really acting out, oftentimes it can actually be uh, an indication that they feel safe with their parents. So as parents, usually you get like the worst of your kids. You're like, how do you be, like, behave with other people so well? Why don't you do that for me? And it can be an indication that they feel safe. They feel safe to just be themselves. They feel safe to be true to themselves. They feel safe to share all of their emotions and things like that, right? So I'm like a small child when I'm around Caitlin is what I'm getting to. <laughs> but if like we really think through the layers of that, and if that's true of children, and we're now like growing up and maturing and becoming like real human beings with other people, why do we still do that? Like should there, should there be a way in which we're true to who we are no matter who we're with? whether it's my friend, whether it's a random person, whether it's my wife, whether it's my kids, why is there separation in the way that we behave based on the context that we find ourselves in or who we find ourselves with? Do you experience that ever? Like when you walk in here, I'm sure there's ways of being that are a little bit different than when you're at work. And it could definitely be very different than when you're at home. And I bring that up not to like guilt or to shame, but to bring awareness to the idea that to be a whole person that is authentic to who we are and to who God is calling us to be is hard. Because we have narratives of who we think we should be. We have certain pressures around us from who we think people expect us to be. And I don't know about you, but like, I like when people like me and like want to be around me and like I get affirmation for things. So then what tends to happen, whatever we might be looking for most that gets affirmed in certain areas, we will do more of what is bringing that affirmation, whether it's true to us or not. So if you're to think about your own life this morning, if you're to think about this last week, what are the places or the people that you showed up and you weren't yourself? Or maybe you showed up and you were yourself. It actually didn't go too well. Any moments like that, small moments, big moments, could be the car ride with the spouse, could be the coworker who you have a hard time with, it could be compromising something for the sake of what your boss is asking you. Could be putting on a persona for your own employees because you have this idea of how they need to see you. Like if you just work through your layers, do you feel yourself shifting throughout the week depending on where you're at? And I bring that up because what I want us to do is try something on today in regard to authenticity. Authenticity is a popular word. Some have said that the younger generation uh, myself and younger, not so much millennials, but young, they crave authenticity. They crave genuineness. And what happens is they also want to 
expose when things aren't authentic. And there's actually, it seems like they have, this is what, you know, those who study culture are saying, it seems like they just have a nose that sniffs it out even quicker when someone is not being genuine or not themselves. Now, the challenge with that, though, is oftentimes what we see, and when I just, talking with people, seeing people, trying to avoid social media at all costs, but still seeing it, what you end up seeing is people who are being authentic are just being themselves. People who are being authentic are, hey, love me as I am. People who are being authentic are, you need to accept what I'm saying. People who are being authentic are, you can't judge me. People who are being authentic are trying to find ways to become more of who they already are and then asking everyone else to agree with that and to not disrupt and to not challenge and to not actually invite into another way. And that can be one image of authenticity, just becoming more of who you are. I mean, it's American Idol at its finest. When you have the worst singer ever and they interview them backstage, who's next to them? Mom. Oftentimes, they are a terrible singer, yet there's someone in their life that's saying, oh, you go for it. You can do this. You can achieve anything you put your mind to. Don't let anyone tell you you're a terrible singer. And what they needed most was someone to say, you're a terrible singer. Like, just stop doing this. You could do so many other things with your life. And we know that mom's going to be one of the last ones to do that. But it's true. And we love that. And we want to keep going into those things. And, but so for us... We set out as Midtown with three primary distinctives. Distinctives are the things that you want to be characterized by, the things that kind of distinguish you from others. And our first one was to be people who are relationally authentic. You see, authenticity can't just live from one thing. It's not singular. So relational authenticity is actually now saying, what does it look like for me to be authentic? But then what does that look like to be in relationship, to be in relationship with God and to relationship with other people? And the cool thing is, is we didn't just make these things up. We actually see relational authenticity throughout the scriptures. We see it in the life of Jesus, but what's challenging is that it's different than the authenticity that is easy. It's different than just being myself and, you know, just having the justification that I'm tired or I'm hangry and this is just the way I am. Very different. And the hope is that we operate as a people who are relationally authentic here. We foster that. And then what starts to happen is you become more relationally authentic in your own life in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, with your kids, with your friends, with those that you have a hard time with, with those that you want the most approval from, that you actually grow in ways that invite other people to then become relationally authentic. But it's not just helping them become more of themselves and who they already are. It's you and others becoming more of who God has created you to be. And that's very different than who you are right now, very different than who I am right now. It doesn't happen overnight. That's the bad news in all of this. But I want us to consider a, a passage here for a second, and then we're going to try something on. I'm going to have you do some heavy lifting this morning, and we're going to have just a participation for about 10 minutes on a sheet of paper. I'll explain that more. But Jesus came on the scene at one point and started talking about the kingdom of God. He started talking about his active rule and reign and how it's not just something out in the clouds called heaven, but it's actually something that is breaking in right now in and through him. And it's becoming accessible to people like you and I. He came in to say that he wanted to set the captives free. He came to say that he's going to restore sight to the blind. He said that he came to seek and save the lost. He actually is trying to bring change by God being embodied in flesh. And he's, he's teaching a bunch of people about this. And then at one point, I love how uh, this gets paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. Here in Luke 18, he comes along 
And he says, it says, he told this next story to some who are complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and look down their noses at the common people. Do you have someone in mind as you read that? Can you imagine somebody that's complacent with their own morality and they're proud of who they are and what that tends to do is look down at other people? See, there's this thing that when I feel good about myself, oftentimes the cost at that is that I can actually make other people feel worse. Now, I'm not talking about being inherently loved and having dignity and self-worth, because I think that actually as that goes up, you're better able to see that in other people. But when I put it in my own morality, what I can achieve, what I can accomplish, who I am, but I'm better than others, that means that someone has to be worse than me. And I actually start to separate from other people. Do you have someone in mind like that? Do you know anybody like that? Can you think about the moments that you might be like that? And he continues. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that had it all together, those that were looked up to, those that had wealth, and a tax collector, the one who has betrayed their people and given, and given allegiance to the Romans. They're seen as scum. They're seen as terrible people. They have sold themselves out and they have sold others out. And these two, they go to the temple. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on my income. You see it a little bit more clearly now? All the things that I can do, the things that are true of me, the things that I can achieve, becoming more of myself, and then there's other people. But that's what it is, right? Like, I need to be more authentic. I need to live in the things that I desire and hope for and what I need other people to tell me is true, and no one can challenge that. The trajectory that I'm on, the road that I'm walking, the path that I have, this is true to who I am because it's coming from within. But other people who are doing other things are outsiders. So he says that prayer, and then what we see here. Meanwhile, the tax man, Slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands. Not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, mercy, forgive me, a sinner. He comes in with the religious leader right next to him. And those who pray loudly and know how to pray and use all the right words is what he's doing. And this man comes and simply just says, God, have mercy. I'm a sinner. God, have mercy. I need help. God, have mercy, I don't know what I'm doing. God, have mercy, I can't do this alone. God, have mercy on me. For I am a broken person that needs you. I am a broken person that needs your wholeness. I'm an unrighteous person that needs your righteousness. I lack peace and I need your peace. I want to have meaningful things in my life and I need your meaning. You see the shift. You see the difference. Two men, I think, being completely authentic to who they think they should be. But then what does Jesus say? Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. If you can be content with yourself, you will become more than yourself. See, Jesus is saying, yes, you, you can. You can come to me exactly who you are, exactly where you're at. 
but I love you too much than to just leave you there. Yes, I see everything about your life. I see the shortcomings. I see the things that you're terrible at. I see the things that you're ruining. I see the things that you keep doing over and over and over and over again, even when you don't want to be doing them over and over again. And he's saying, I see you freeing yourself authentically to me because I have so much more for you, and it's only through me that you can actually experience more that I have for you. Give me everything you have, and I'm going to give you, more, I'm going to give you back way more than you could ever imagine. Bring everything, everything to me. I will give you things that you don't even know that you need. You'll become someone that you can't even imagine becoming. But you see the second prayer. You see the tax man who is an outcast, who has betrayed his people, that is far from God. You see his posture, humility. God, I need you. Versus the Pharisee who has it all figured out. What areas of your life are you doing pretty well because you're good? What areas of your life are you working through because you can achieve it? What areas of your life are you seeing in relationship to God or relationship to others because you got it? You've done it. You've gotten yourself there. You know, we have that idiom in the U.S. I remember sitting around a table and we're chatting, uh, no one who's involved in church. And one guy says out loud, he said, well, you know, talking about, I think we are talking about homelessness or something. And he says, hey, Ryan, you know, like, God said, like, God's going to help those that help themselves, right? I was like, well, where do I go from here? Do you want my answer? Or, like, what do we do here? Because you can scour the scriptures, and while we might feel that to be true, you're never going to find it. Because God helps all people. But the invitation is to recognize that we first need help. Can you imagine? imagine how many people would never experience God because they can't? Go to another country. Go tell that to a 12-year-old in a third-world country. Like, what? You got this, man. You can do this. It's not possible. So I just want us to pause for a moment and just think, am I being authentic? In all areas of my life, I'm actually pausing and saying, God, help me. Mercy on me. Or is authenticity just coming because it's deep within you? And it's the hopes, the desires, the dreams that you have. I wonder. So we're going to pause right here. We're going to finish our time with a practice. I'm going to ask Daniel and Kathy um, to pass a card out. And I'll explain it here on the screen before you get it. Uh, they're going to pass the sheets out, and then they're going to follow with some pens. And what we're going to do here for a moment, Kelly, we, there we go. There's ways of growing in authenticity, but the ways are challenging and hard. Some of you in this room, I have had what's called a transformation conversation with. It's awkward for me when I have to do it, and it's probably awkward for you when I do it. Because you're like, I don't really know what you're saying right now. But as you receive these papers, if you don't have it yet looking at the screen, what this is is a practice for you and I to grow in authenticity. It's a practice to actually put in place that is doing the prayer of the tax man. It's pausing in our areas of life to recognize what the gaps are. See, I think for you and I, to ever move forward, to ever progress, to ever experience transformation, we need to have a vision. And if I can just cut to it, I think the vision is Jesus. Like, if you want a vision for your life, read the Gospels over and over again and just watch Jesus. 
Take on his words. See how he interacts with people. Watch how he moves throughout his day. Look at what he does when things are anxious. Look at what he does when things are easy. If you want a vision, look at Jesus. So I want you just to pause right now. You're going to take a minute of silence. It's an area you feel God calling you to grow in right now. You're to think about yourself as an employee at your company. What's the vision? You're to think about yourself in dating or marriage. What's the vision right now? You're to think about yourself in relationship with God. What's the vision? One area, one relationship, one role, it's one thing God is highlighting for you right now. Now, with that in mind, where are you currently at? What's the separation? Where are you right now compared to that vision? This is saturated in the tax man's prayer, God have mercy on me, for I fall short. What ways are you falling short right now? You're writing or have not written yet. Continue going, get started. You know what you do with that? You name the gap. How's God inviting you to move from A to B? One more minute of writing, and then I'll invite us into the next step.
And I want us to pause, however far you are, or however much more you can write. But whatever came up for you, whether it be with God, with, again, some of your dating or a friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your employee. Someone else is involved in this. Someone's on the other side of the vision that you have for who you sense God calling you to be. And now the hard part is to invite them in. And it's called Transformation Conversation because you're to have a conversation from them. And to actually invite someone in to do the practice of God have mercy on me for I fall short. Imagine a world if everyone did that. Like right now. Just imagine if everyone in your life just practiced saying, hey, God, I want to be the most patient husband. Man, but right now, I just keep getting so frustrated. Here's the things I notice that are in between my vision and where I am. Dave, can you help me? What if everyone went to their boss and said, man, I love this job. Here's like a few areas I'm falling behind. Can you help me? What if you as a parent went to your kids and said, man, I want to be the most loving, kind, encouraging parent here's where I've been lately. Can you help me? Could you imagine every single friend being able to name where they're at and why they're just not where they want to be? Because I think in a culture where your true self is just coming from within, we actually feel like we then need to protect that because it's my identity because I can't name my shortcomings. I can't name my faults. Humility is taboo. But in the kingdom of God, he is saying, humble yourself. Man, if you can do that, I will take care of the rest. Because so much more is going to come from you saying, God, have mercy, than saying, God, I've got this. And it's going to blow your mind. I know there's a few of you right now that you have a a relationship that is it's really hard. And I know the, the easiest thing to do is to look at the other person and critique them and judge them and say it's their fault. But what would it look like for you to lead with vulnerability? Because that's what relational authenticity takes. It's to stop looking at them and to look at yourself can't change them, but what I can do is open up and have practices where God changes me. What does it look like to lead others that way? To not have to have all the answers, to not have to figure it out, to not have the perfect life, to not be completely moral. Again, can you imagine a world like that? It's the kingdom. It's what Jesus has invited us to. Be relationally authentic. To say, God, here I am, but I don't want to stay. So now what I want you to do, just one or two minutes, 
you to imagine having the conversation with who's on the other side of your paper. Walk it out. Close your eyes and imagine it. Where are you meeting them? How are you starting it? What's your posture like going into it? What might you need to do ahead of time for their sake or for your sake? Imagine yourself having that conversation. I want you to imagine the possibilities. I want you to imagine how good things could be. If it feels out of reach, if this feels terrible and you don't want to do it, Paul, the apostle, who I don't know, I mean, like the guy killed people for a really large part of his life. Like he just like killed Christians a lot. And all of a sudden he meets Jesus and now he's like this like leader in the church. Could you imagine his wrestle with authenticity? Could you imagine the desires and the things of his life that he was fully living into at one point? And then at some point he said, God help. What I'm doing is not working. Who I am is not working. Save me. Shape me, form me. And his influence from that point shifted. And I think he figured it out. So he said in 2 Corinthians, my grace, speaking of God to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. How are things going when you're just in your own power? When you're operating out of your own will, your own might? God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardship and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak that I am strong. For when I am weak, I can actually be strengthened by something that is not of me, that is, is not myself. Imagine a world of how many people are looking for sex trafficking and Jordan presents an opportunity for, for someone to say, I need help. I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and I cannot do the things that I do want to do. And for someone to say, man, I, 
I do, I have a vision for a good marriage, but man, it's a long road in between that vision and where I'm at currently. Help. Imagine if everybody practiced that. Imagine if you practiced it. Imagine if the people in your life practiced it. God wants to do so much through you and I being open to who he is and what he has for us, to being fully authentic with him and with each other, to say, here I am, help. Here I am, have mercy on me. Here I am, let's live for a greater vision than just living from myself. It's the kind of church I want to be a part of because it's a shift that I've seen in my own life. Authenticity for so long in my life hurt me, other people. Being who I am for the sake of being who I am was just destructive. It was not the shalom that God has brought his kingdom for. I now know what it looks like to say, God, help. There's so many people in your life that they, they feel this, but they don't know what to do. They don't know that Jesus is an invitation to say, God, have mercy on me. Help. I want more meaning. I want more purpose. I want more freedom. I want more peace. I don't want to keep doing these things that I'm doing. Lead them. Lead them by being relationally authentic. Lead them by having transforming conversations. Imagine a world where we stand with you.